1 Timothy 3.15. This is Submission and Authority. Our title of the class today is Church and Ministerial Ethics. Today we're going to talk about uh, six different topics. First one is money. Two, prayer ministry. Third is children's ministry. Fourth is guest ministers. Fifth, spiritual gifts and their offices. And sixth, following leaders. Following leaders, and I'm just going to say it's avoiding gossip. Deserves its own heading. So that's where we're going today. Number two, prayer ministry. Prayer ministry, children's ministry, guest ministers and pastors, spiritual gifts, offices, and abuses. Following leaders and avoiding gossip. And so our main text is 1 Timothy 3.15. And there, Paul writing to Timothy says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you want to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Isn't it nice that Timothy, who was going to be a pastor, who was trained up under Paul, got instructions on how to conduct himself? You need to know. Someone's got to tell you the rules. This is good, that's bad. This is right, that's wrong. As in the Steve Martin movie, this is Shinola. <laughs> so, number one, money. Talk about money. Number one, it's not yours. It's God's. You are the steward. You are stewarding the money for God. A steward is supposed to be found what? Starts with an F. Faithful. 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 A steward must be found faithful. So, towards that end, pastors and ministers receive a salary. That's how it's done. The church checkbook is not your checkbook. Just because you can sign it and write checks there, it's not your checkbook. You should not play with it as if it were your checkbook. Somebody else should pay the bills. You receive a salary. Otherwise, uh, the IRS will come and talk to you. One of the most impressive things about Billy Graham's ministry, that even though it was in the tens of millions of dollars, sometimes even monthly, but certainly annually, Billy Graham received a very modest salary all his life. It's just a real testimony to the kind of guy he was. Even though by compensation standards and the boards and all that kind of stuff, he could have taken a ginormous salary, he always took a very modest salary. And he lived in a modest home all his life. There's a ministry that never was touched by any scandal. Never touched by scandal and was national all his life. The man met with more presidents than probably anybody else except for maybe Bob Hope or something, you know. But, but Billy Graham ministered personally to presidents from World War II to today. Very impressive guy. And uh, one of the things that was tremendous about uh, Billy Graham's ministry is financially he was very, very transparent and very accountable, very above board. It makes a difference. What happens is that a minister's salary is not set by the minister. A minister's salary is set by a board. A board sets your salary in conjunction with an accountant, and they set your salary based on a number of criteria. How much money's coming in? You can't pay more, than, more out than it's coming in. How many people in the church? Current expenses. How often the pastor speaks and leads in meetings? His duties in the church. What does he oversee? The pastor's salary should then fall within a prescribed range, and your church accountant will help you with where those ranges are. 
So that's how ministers' compensation is set, and uh, it's just important to talk about that, you know, because it's important. Always pay all of your bills. I wish I didn't have to say that, but I'm saying it, and you're accountable for it. You were taught in Bible school to pay your bills. Never leave outstanding debt, especially, especially when you're a ministry. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's one thing when uh, a concrete contractor goes bankrupt, but it's, it's just a completely different thing when a ministry goes out of business and leaves outstanding bills. Oh, boy, everybody's talking. People just really use it as an occasion to, to be silly. Yes. Certainly in, in Tulsa, I mean, you know, there's a church on every corner, and there was a story on every corner about the probably maybe only, well, actually there was, there was one larger ministry in town that wasn't doing well at paying its bills. Two, actually. Boy, all the contractors and all the providers and all the people knew who they were, and uh, there was a tremendous amount of conversation about it. Not good. Not good. So, so make sure, especially, that as a ministry, that everything's being paid on time and, and, and done right. Another thing that's important, you know, we're talking about money in church. It's okay for a church to have a savings account. It is. It's okay for a church to have $100,000 in savings, $500,000 in savings. That's okay. That's absolutely all right. It's rare. <laughs> Most of the time, people just, it comes in, it goes out. Um, but, you know, think about that. It'd be okay, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. I mean, because you can take advantage of opportunities. There's a lot of things you could do. God may be positioning you to do something in the future. God's not telling you to spend it. Don't spend it because he will have an opportunity for you to spend it. Use your faith, but stay within a budget. Be a conservative steward of God's money. We're a faith teaching and a faith preaching and a faith living bunch. Everything, every blessing comes by faith. And there's a fight to it. And there are times when everything's looking down and everything's looking tough and you've got to just speak by faith yes. over your finances and over yes. your situation. And, yes. and you can't just curl up in the corner and suck your thumb. You've got to just come out fighting and saying, this is how it's going. This is where it's going. And, yes. and this is what's going to happen in my finances. But at the same time, if you're leading a ministry or if you're involved in a ministry, I want you to be relatively conservative in your outlays and your budgeting and your expenditures so that you don't make a mistake. Hear from God, follow God, don't be presumptuous. You know what I mean by that? Presumptuous. You know, it's, it's going to be a fine line. But basically, you, you better know that you heard from God if you're going to maybe commit to something that you don't have capital on hand for. All right? The highest form of financial faith is all cash. Some people think the highest form of financial faith is, I'm going to build a building. I'm going to start this giant project. We're going to add on a gymnasium on the church. And how are you going to do it, Pastor? Do you have any money? No. I think the best, the best thing is to try to, if you're going to build, build on, build on cash. Raise the money for the foundation. Raise the money first for engineering. Raise the money for permits. Just raise it in steps. Here's our first, first set of goals is, is we're going to do architecture, engineering, and permits in phase one. Phase two is going to be a foundation. And we're going to raise it in cash. And we, we do architecture, engineering, and permits in phase one. And we get it all in cash. We do the foundation. Phase two, all cash. What if we get the concrete in and we don't build for two or three more years. It's okay. Concrete's still going to be there. You know, wait till, wait till you get the rest of it to go up. Go all cash. Because ultimately, you and I are going to graduate to heaven. 
And we want to build a ministry that will live on after ourselves. So many ministries are, are really personality-based. And when the personality is gone, the ministry is gone. But let's think of, um, say, a, a local ministry like Menlo Park Presbyterian. They have 5,000 people there, change pastors, and have 5,000 people there. That's because they have a tremendous second level of ministry. There's a pastor, but there are a gazillion associate pastors. There's a fantastic uh, level of children's ministry. There's a fantastic level of youth ministry. There are, at one time, there were 200 people on salary. 200 people on salary at that ministry. Considerably less today. But, you know, around 2000 and the dot-com boom, those guys were flush. And they were giving away money to a lot of places and, and had a lot, of places, a lot of people on salary. But it's a ministry that's not... Who's the, who's the head pastor of Menlo Park Presbyterian? That's a good thing. That's a good thing that nobody knows. Do you see that? Do you see that? What I'm saying is that, is that there's a ministry that's doing well, it's successful, and there's no personality cult. Do, do, do you see what I'm going, where I'm going with this? The reason why churches are churches, the reason why there's a beautiful stained glass window here and a, and a beautiful uh, patio area over there and, and a nice fully equipped kitchen over here and a dining room over there is because somebody, when they died or when they were blessed or some family gave 100000 here, some family gave a quarter of a million there, another person gave a half million here, and another person gave 10000 and, and another group raised up the money to do this and that. It was 50 years ago and 75 years ago and 25 years ago, and it was a foundation for the future, and everybody else gets to benefit from it. And so you really have to have a long-term mindset and really think you know, that you're sowing, and you may not reap the benefits of the big check you write or the big check your heirs get to write. But where are you putting your treasure in heaven? Where are you going to spend eternity? So 90 years in light of eternity, okay, if we put a timeline, and this was, this was the beginning of eternity, and this is the end of eternity, where is 90 years? Invisible. It's invisibly small. It's atomically small. Your 90 years here on the earth is a blip. It's invisible in the time, in speck of eternity. And so you need to have an eternal sowing, an eternal mindset. Amen? Okay. So that's really all I want to say about money right now. Um, number two, we're going to go to prayer ministry. We're talking about uh, church and ministerial ethics. Timothy said, you know, this is how you conduct yourself in the house of God. Some of these things should be absolutely obvious. You know them, but we'll say them anyways just because it's important. Women should pray with women. Men should pray with men. Women make good ushers and catchers for women. Never counsel alone with the opposite sex. Never counsel one party in a marriage. Oh, I want to come talk to you about my marriage, Pastor. There's just some really important things going on in our marriage. Please come talk to me. No. Oh, Pastor, I, I got some things going on with my wife, man. Can I come talk to you? No. If you want to talk about your wife, you can talk about your wife with your wife there. And Pastor Gigi there. And all four of us will have that discussion. Oh, well, maybe it's not that bad. Uh, you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe we can work things out. You know, it's amazing how four people in the room brings a lot of perspective to the story that's being told. You know, you just, you just meet one-on-one -on -one with somebody, and they'll tell you they're married to Satan. <laughs> but, but, but you get all four people in the room, and, you know, 
we're, we love each other so much, but we're just having a little rocky time right now. <laughs> you know? Aren't we lovey-bubby? You know? <laughs> and, and it's just amazing. In most cases, when somebody needs prayer over a body part, you can just touch their head or their hands. You don't necessarily have to get in vital proximity to the, the specific body part. You can touch their head or their hands, and that's good enough. How about this in a prayer line? Have you ever had this one? You, you go to pray for somebody. How can I pray for you, Mrs. Jones? And Mrs. Jones says, well, it all started back in 68. And this, and, and she goes on to this long, she's going to tell you her whole life story. You don't need her life story to pray for her. And really, it's going to just really hinder everybody's faith, yours and theirs, if they discuss the problem at length. One time I went to go pray for a minister, and he started giving me the Latin terminology for all of his illnesses. Meniscus, this kitty, that kitty, you know, I mean, it was, it was a long, and, and he was very proud of all the Latin terminology that he had. And basically, he had a lot of faith in the doctor's report. And he was developing further faith as he spoke about the doctor's report. We have another doctor. He's called the Great Physician. What's he saying? Let's talk about the Great Physician's report, and let's rehearse that, and then go into prayer. But I don't want to go into prayer with somebody who gives me a long rehearsal of the doctor's report. You can meet somebody where they're at, but you kind of want to help them. Uh, you're really going to be starting down here on your way up to there. When they give you that long doctor's report about how bad it all is, and you know, there's just no hope, and this medicine is experimental, but it probably won't work, and you know, all that kind of stuff. This, year, this is a mess. So what you want to do is, is you kind of pull them over, give them to stop, and say, let's, let's just read the Bible. Get out, get something out, and just say, by his stripes, we are healed. He healed all their sicknesses and all their diseases. Isaiah saw it. Jesus quoted it. Then Peter refers to it. By his stripes, you were healed. Can we just go over it? Let, let me do some talking now. You've done your talking. My turn. And now let's, just bring the, let's bring the level of faith up here so we can actually get something done. You, you're really going to try to bring their faith up as far as you can move it. You're not going to probably get them up to Oral Roberts' faith. But you can take them off of, I'm dead, in the doctor's report, to there's some hope. You want to get them from where they are over into hope. Okay? And so there's, everybody's got their how much, how much movement you can take them. And so what you want to do is you want to move them up as far as you can get them and pray from that point. And really your expectation is based on their expectation. What's their level of faith? Can we just get it a little bit better? Can we keep you alive this week? Can, we just, now, can you believe that it'll just get a little better? And you take it a little further. For instance, my, my mother who is, pray for her, hosting a lesbian wedding party in two weeks, went in for surgery. And she said, Brad, you know, I'm going in for surgery and stuff like that. You know. And I said, Mom, would you like me to pray for you? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, what exactly would you like me to pray for? You know, what, are we, what are we really going to ask God for? I mean, what are, you, what are you expecting God to do for you? And she said, I'm expecting God to give the surgeon skill. I'm expecting for a quick recovery, and I'm expecting that uh, everything will go well and that there won't be uh, complications. I said, I can hook up with you on that. And so we hooked up on that, and we we're in complete and total agreement. 
And that's exactly what she got. Do you see that? See, and I'm not, I'm not saying, shouldn't I? You're not going to have any surgery, and, you know, and you're just going to be. She wasn't there. She wasn't going to you know, be able to just walk in and, and tell the doctor, I don't need this surgery and all this kind of stuff. No, she's she just not there. So we prayed where she was, and we got what she and I could agree on. Okay? It works. Don't use prayer ministry to direct or control someone else's life. This happens. And so be open-handed about what you're hearing from heaven or what you're feeling for that person's life. And don't hold it against them if they don't take your wise counsel. It's truly between them and God. It's not between you and them. You're not their shepherd. You're not their master. You're not their Lord. You may have heard from God, and you may not have. You may just have strong feelings about this topic. So do not be pushy with your own agenda. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And the Holy Spirit uh, has often said things to you and to me that, unfortunately, we have not done. And the Holy Spirit still likes us, not talking to us or something like that anymore. He's not grumpy about it. He's forgiving. I'm sensing X, but I could be wrong. In other words, but there are so many people that get their whole identity wrapped up into it. And thus saith the Lord for you. And you've... You know, and you give them this pronouncement, you know, on a scroll. Give me swagger. And walk away, swaggering away. And, and then keep a mental note whether or not they're going to do what you pronounced. And then, uh, how about this? It, certain people pronounce judgment over a situation or a city or a country or a state. And then they really, their ego is involved. And if that just... If those people don't just burn up soon, their ministry is in trouble. And so, oh my goodness, you know, I mean, whose side are you on? I mean, now all of a sudden your ego needs them to burn up. Classic example is Jonah goes to Nineveh. First, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't like the Ninevites. Bunch of rascals. And uh, so he tried to go the other way. And he knew that God would forgive him and everything. And, and so he goes and he preaches three days, march through, through uh, Nineveh, and they repent. Who'd have thunk it? They did. They repented in sackcloth and ashes, and it was beautiful, and God received their repentance. And, jo and Jonah got up on a hill and said, yeah. Get him. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. Oh, God. I told him they're all going to just burn up, and you didn't do it. God's like, yeah, I didn't want to. I needed to warn him. Thank you for warning him. It's like, but I can't go back to Nineveh. I said, you didn't want to go to Nineveh. You know, who's, who's your reputation supposed to be with, God or Ninevites? <laughs> and you've seen it. You know, you, you know, and maybe you'll have a dream someday, and you'll see that God's upset with X group. And you may go and pronounce it to everybody that you had a dream, God's upset with X group. It's so that you can pray for X group. You can pray for that, that bunch. If God shows you that, man, the judgment is coming, it's so that an intercessor can be raised up. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? No, God said. I'm not going to hide from Abraham. God's going to show a person on the earth what he's about to do. Why? So that they could report it on the news? God's about to... No, so that they can intercede. And so Abraham's intercession for his friend Lot and for over Sodom and Gomorrah 
is a classic example of man's power with God. And God's showing us stuff, and our stuff, and our response to something that God shows us is intercession and prayer and mercy. Amen? Do you, kind of, do you see why God would show you something? It's not to build your reputation for pronouncing doom. It's to build uh, God's reputation for mercy. Especially in a church service, especially in a, in a ministry session where, where things are going well and there's a, there's a good anointing, have a catcher. Make sure, wait for your catcher. Wait for somebody to get behind the, that person. Uh, if there's a really strong anointing in the room, sometimes you just walking up close to somebody, boom, you know, it's just, there's just a, an anointing that's going to be on you and they may go down before you get to them and before the usher gets to them and they may get injured. This is a concrete floor right here. There's a, this concrete slab. There's a little bit of carpet, but there's a concrete slab here. A lot of these floors are really hard. Desks, chairs, things like that. So probably the best thing to do in, in most situations is have somebody sit down. Just use a chair. There's a prayer chair. You know, have people come and sit in the chair. But if you've got really good trained ushers and stuff like that, wait for them and they should be there. It's just something to think about. Because uh, actually maybe five years ago we actually did have somebody fall in the other building and uh, they hurt their knee. And it was exactly one of those situations where the ushers weren't quite there yet. There was a great anointing, and somebody just ran up to go pray for somebody else, and boom, they went down, and they hurt, they hurt themselves. We can avoid that by just using a little bit of wisdom. Important, important tool of prayer ministry. <laughs> you cannot persuade and offend at the same time. Okay, this might seem incredibly practical, a little bit mundane, but this will help you. Finally, people should always leave prayer ministry feeling uplifted and cared for. It's very easy that if you're not careful with your words and with your demeanor and the, and the way you are representing God to kind of make somebody who's already feeling guilty feel more guilty. Somebody who's already feeling less than feel even more less than. If somebody comes up to you for prayer, bottom line, they should walk away feeling cared for, feeling loved, and, and affirmed. At the bottom line, at the very least. Point number three, children's ministry. Uh, children uh, in, in troubled homes sometimes learn what the hot button is. They may learn that one of the hot buttons, uh, we can get a real big volcanic reaction in the house if I say, I got touched. And so just for the reaction, someone might say that. It has nothing to do with reality. But if there isn't another adult present, you may be in a heap of trouble. It's just because somebody lied on you. Two adults is a protection for the teacher. And it's a vital protection for the children. High visibility, no hiding places in your children's rooms. And now that security video cameras have become so inexpensive, you can go to Costco, you can go to Fry's, you can get like a, a nine camera security system with a VCR, with a DVD recorder, and you can get the whole package for maybe 800 bucks. And you can install something like this so that there's absolutely no, no dark spots in a room. And if, you, you know, if you've got a fixed facility, you set something like this up and you run it during children's ministry, there's no stories. Everything's out in the open. There's, there's cameras in the bathroom, there's cameras everywhere. There's, it's, it's clear and it's clean and, and everybody's safe. Everybody's protected and it's on, rec and it's on record. It's a good thing. Uh, Jubilee 
has a state-of-the-art children's ministry, got to take a tour of it. Boy, what a video system they've got. Man, you, it's, it's like a Las Vegas casino. You, there's, there's somebody watching a million screens and they see everything. Okay? And it's, then it's recorded and kept. Uh, women are your best children's ministers. Church insurance policies recommend very strongly that you do not have men as your children's ministers just because uh, they don't have any lawsuits uh, with women, but they do have lots with, uh, with men, especially younger single men. People who have been abused are most likely to commit abuse. So you should have a screening process where, whereby if you do run across somebody who had a uh, difficult past, even though they're healed and, and, and they've, they've, they've come through it and, and uh, God's done a great work in their heart, ushering, music ministry, other places, greeting, those might be better places for them to serve other than children's ministry if, if there had been uh, that type of a, an issue in their past. Married men are still at, at risk. We just kind of have a policy. We recruit women in our children's ministry. It's just safer. Are you biasing these things? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what are you know, your prejudice against men? No, I'm just following the statistics, and as a private organization, we can do that. It works better. Never had any problems, never will. Have a check-in and a check-out system. Why? Well, you know, we know everybody, and everybody knows everybody. In a larger church, sometimes you don't. And uh, even in smaller churches, uh, you have people that come in and come out that, that maybe nobody has met. And divorced parents have done this where mom and dad are having a custody battle. Dad knows mom's taking the kid to church and drops the kid off in the ministry. Dad comes in midway through service and says, Hello, Junior! And Junior goes, Hi, Daddy! And into the car, and you know, well, I gave him to Dad. Dad didn't have custody, and we can't find Dad. And if the person who checks them in gets a number and a tag, and without the number and the tag, they can't be checked out. No matter if Grandpa or Uncle or anybody or you know, the neighbor comes in with that tag, no taggy, no kitty. Is, is, a, is, a, is a good policy. Spend money on the children's ministry. Do this well. Give recognition and reward to those in this department, and it will benefit you a lot. All right, I want to kind of move along fast. Guest ministers and pastors. How much did you pay a guest minister? How much can you afford? How much are they asking for? You talk about it before they arrive. When you're setting something up, you talk about it. Talk about what you're going to pay for and what you're not going to pay for. A big-time minister, it's appropriate for larger ministers, uh, you pay everything. You set it up, uh, we want you to come in six months, we're going to send you a plane ticket, we're going to have a car pick you up at the airport, and we're going to take you to a nice hotel, all your meals are paid for, all your transportation is taken care, for, care of, uh, there will be like an associate pastor or somebody who will take you around wherever you need to go or will have a car for you. We will give you the check before you leave the church building. Uh, we will put a gift in your room of some kind, and uh, you know, some water bottles and some mints and, uh, and some snacks and fruit and stuff like that in your room. These are uh, basic courtesies that are expected and appropriate. Uh, we will staff your book table. We will set up your book table. We'll have some of our people staff it. All the money will go into whatever you want it to go into and will be in your briefcase when you're ready to leave the, the, the building. A number of pastors uh, often offer to buy the rest of the books. Any unsold books and tapes, we'll buy them. So you don't have to put them back on the plane. Just real high-level courtesy. And then, you know, then they'll 
sell them and give them away or what have you. Or, or the, you know, if you have a bookstore or something like that, you know, they'll just keep them in their bookstore. It's just, it's just good. Um, you just, you know, if you tell them, you know, trust me, unfortunately, guest minister, traveling ministers have had bad experiences. And trust me makes them nervous. And we'll, we'll pay you at the, at the end of the thing. Uh, they get nervous. Uh, I've seen it. So uh, they prefer to receive a check on the way out the door. So it means that you have your people count the offering, cut a church check so that they leave with a church check or you know, maybe the whole offering just goes to them or however you set it up. Just make sure that it's handled. They have it in their briefcase when they get in the car. Works better. I have never met a minister who charges a fee, but I have heard of ministers that have a budget and they say we've got a minimum for us to meet our budget. And let's say for instance, um, Let's say like a minister like Christopher Alam. He has never told me he's got a, a minimum offering. But Christopher Alam is supporting uh, Bible schools in Burma and crusades in uh, Zimbabwe. And he's got, uh, a great, he's got a great large work going on in the world. He's only got so many Sundays per year or so many Sundays in a month. And he's got a monthly obligation around the world. And so if he comes to San Mateo, and he gets $500, but his weekly budget's 5000 he may talk to us about that and say, you know, I do have a, a monthly budget of, or a weekly budget of $5,000. In which case, you know, you, you might say, well, maybe we can partner with some other churches. Maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do that. Or um, what uh, many churches do is they'll just save. They'll, they'll save for the six months going into that ministry, go into that month, so that they make sure there is a way to write a check for $5,000 as a very minimum on, on that particular Sunday. So if you want to have Jesse Duplantis come, I mean, he can go anywhere he wants. More commonly, ministers will just say, we'll just receive an offering and we'll go with that. But they do kind of want to know the size of your church. <laughs> We've given a $6,000 offering from a 50-member congregation. It's amazing what a minister's faith does. Kenneth Hagin talks about this, and he says that that he mentions it many times that there were times when I went to a church and they had never and, and I received a larger offering than they'd ever given anybody else before, thirty-eight dollars and seventy-three cents. You know, it's in the depression. You know, he's talking about these things, and, and the pastor had to count it three times that there was thirty-eight dollars. You know, things like this. But we we had a, a minister come one time. He received a very generous offering, and the church received a very generous offering. The congregation was maybe seventy-five people you know, made me want to have that minister back again. Because he was, he was using his faith, and it wasn't just all selfish, you know. It works out. Mark, uh, Mark Thomas and Brenda Thomas over at Heart of the Bay had uh, Kenneth Hagen there for a week. 100% of the offering went to the, the Hagen ministry. They wanted to be a blessing to the Hagen ministry. They're graduates of, of Rama. Every night they had a minister's fellowship with just a lavish spread of food. They put them up in the best hotels, and they... They had a considerable, considerable outlay from their church. And 100% of the offering went to the, the Hagen ministry. And I said, how do you guys do this? And he says, you know what's really interesting? Is that even though we're outlaying just huge money for this, it all ends up, we end up pretty much even over like a 60-day period. You know, our, just God works it out. God works it out. So it was neat just to see that, you know, that they, they were able to, to treat the ministry with great honor lay out a lot of money to do it right, God makes up for it. And so it takes a lot of prayer, but you've got to have the faith for it. 
guard a minister's privacy before and after the service. People do some really funky things with famous ministers. Oh, you know, I was on the toilet one time and I was listening to your television program and, you know, oh, come on, you know. People will just do weird stuff. And, and they'll, they'll do that before and after service. And you've got to protect them from those wackos. And, and, and sometimes they're your friends, and, but they will, say, they will say some really silly things. They just, you know, they just get in the presence of Christian royalty and they go, bah! you know, you got to protect them. So, you know, you want to have a safe place for them before they minister and you want to get them back to that safe place after they minister. Oh boy, I got so much to cover. I got so little time. I may just have to pick this up uh, next time. People coming into the church, I have turned them away. Why? Because I talked, I said, who was your previous pastor? Oh, well, well, who was it? And you finally find out who it was, and you go and you talk to them, and you find out, well, they just have this horrible track record in this previous church, and they're running from it, and they really need to deal with it. And they're just going to carry that, all that trash into the front door of your church. You don't want it. And so you say, Come on, let's go back and talk to this other pastor and let's, let's sit down with this other minister and let's work some of this stuff out. And you realize it's better if it happens at their office instead of yours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you just you keep working all out over there. Don't bring it here. Because what happens is that God does not promote people unless they pass the test. And so they will just re-experience the same stuff with you. And they got to deal with it. So it's better if they just finish that lesson elsewhere. A new church plant should be at least 30 minutes away from the former church. This is a common and glaring ministerial mistake. That if you're going to plant a new church, well, you know, I happen to live in this community. Yeah, you do. But <laughs> if you're going to start a new church, you can't start it close to the old church. Dingling. Just, it's just rotten stuff what people do. Finally, promote faithfulness and not talent. Promote faithfulness and not talent. Yeah. There is a ton of talent in the church world and there's a thimbleful of truly faithful people. If you go to any successful ministry and you get to know that second tier of ministry, you will find a ton of faithfulness. You will find steady honest, one foot in front of the other, faithful, good people. You may not experience professional level musicians or professional level technical people or professional writers or the most professional person on the telephone. But that person who answers the telephone is faithful. And that person who's in charge of XYZ ministry may not be the, may not have graduated from Harvard but they're there because they're faithful and uh, their leaders trust them. And because their leaders trust them, they promoted them. And you can trust them. And you can trust what they say. And you can work with them. And you can learn from them. And just because you happen to be brighter or you can shine a little bit brighter on a certain aspect of things uh, relative to that person, they're there because God promotes faithfulness. And we honor faithfulness. And we honor, we honor that person's time that they put in to, to uh, receive the honor of, of being in that place. And just because you can run circles around them 
in some way, shape, or form does not mean that you should put them down, compete with them, disrespect them, or do anything other than say yes ma'am or yes sir. All right, got lots more to say on this topic, but uh, we'll have to save it for another day. Um, this is important, practical, nuts and bolts stuff, how to conduct yourself in the house of God. And uh, if you don't hear it in a classroom setting like this, you can just blow past some of these very important stop signs and road signs that just keep ministry flowing in the proper directions. All right, thanks, you guys. It's important. I'm talking to people that uh, are going to need to know how, how to conduct themselves. Because, you know, God's going to give you guys responsibility. God's going to give you guys promotion. God's going to put you guys in leadership places. And, and there's just things you all need to know. And, and just limits. If we just stay in those limits, it's, it works out great. Amen. Amen.